Welcome to False Neutral, a member of the Hooniverse Podcast Network. Our premiere episode, episode number one. And with me is... Eric Tricko from RumbleStrip.net and RumbleStrip Radio. In the beautiful town of Detroit. Yes, where we've had four inches of slush today. And... Garrett, yep, the honorary third wheel. In the beautiful Pacific Northwest, where it's currently sunny, but I'm sure rain is approaching. <laughs> and I am Pete Ziliox, known on Hooniverse as Tanchinomi, and I'm in beautiful suburban Kansas City. So we're each in a different time zone. That's right. Could use some Gates barbecue about right now. Actually, I'm not a big Gates far- fan. No? I'm, I'm more of a... Uh, I used to really love Casey Masterpiece before they got bought out by Kraft and died. But um, Fiorella's Jack Stack Barbecue is the, is the primo among the locals. So, All right. Topics that we were going to discuss. Uh, the first one being, since none of us really know each other, how did you yeah. get into motorcycling and who were your motorcycling mentors? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who wants, well, who I, wants to jump in first? I'm guessing that probably most of us uh, got into motorcycling through our fathers, but... I actually, might... I actually didn't. Oh, really? My father's never ridden a motorcycle. Oh, geez. That's blasphemy right there. No one in my family has ever ridden a motorcycle except Ooh. for me. So, um, I grew up on motorcycles uh, really from an early age through my dad, and it was something that our whole family did. I mean, I've got a brother and my mom, and we all rode... And, you know, I'm only 29. So this started back in the late 80s, early 90s. And and I remember my dad bringing home one of those Yamaha brochures. And you remember back in those times in the early 90s, like the bright pinks and yellows and, and, you know, those super vibrant colors. And I thought that was the coolest stuff in the world. And so uh, I got a little PW80 for my first bike. And uh, boy, I just rode that thing into the dirt. But it was definitely my dad that got me into that. What about you guys? My earliest memories, um, my dad had a, I think it was a CB450 Honda in the, uh, that would have been mid-70s. Yeah, yeah. mid-late 70s. And I have images in my head of riding with him except you know and and back then i don't even know if i had a helmet and like i'd sit in front of him and he'd sit behind me and we'd go go for rides on the street and stuff like that uh and then when he moved to chicago with my stepmother um of course she classic um she had a friend whose husband was killed in a motorcycle accident in chicago so motorcycles were completely banned and until uh after i graduated from college i didn't have the means to, to do it. And then once I was working, I, I, I bought a uh, RZ 500 and, um, yeah, the, the journey began from there. That was in what, 98, I guess I bought that 97, 97. Yeah. I think I bought that. So yeah, it's, um, is that right? Yeah, I guess it was. And yeah, I've pretty much had bikes most of the time since then. So, yeah. uh, you know, as far as who, who mentored me, pretty much nobody had gotten, you know, you just, it's one of those things of I've, I've always wanted one. I, you know, I rode occasional dirt bike here and there and um, borrowed it from somebody. But, yeah, it was just pretty much on my own. Yeah. So, Peter, if you didn't have any family members riding, then what made you decide that motorcycling was the way of your life? <laughs> 
Well, it's funny. I uh, when they first came out, the Honda Express. I was like uh-huh. fourteen, and the first NC fifty Express they advertised on television. They were like, it was I forget what it was. It was like three hundred ninety eight dollars, four hundred ninety eight dollars, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And it got a hundred miles to the gallon. I'm like, oh yeah, oh wow. Hey, when I get my <laughs> license, I could do that. It, it wasn't that I wanted motorcycling. I just wanted transportation. I was just desperate for for a way to get around on my own. I had yep. three older sisters, so somebody always had the car. And I knew once I got my license, I was I was going to have to have something on my own if I wanted to get around by myself. Oh, yeah. And uh, then I saw uh, the movie Quadrophenia, and I wanted a Vespa scooter so bad. Ooh, I've got one of those. And, and, and yeah, I, I went down to Guido's Triangle Vespa, which was at the time that was a standalone Vespa scooter dealer and uh, bugged those guys for a while and went down, you know, got interested in it through that. I didn't know anybody who had one. And I had a coworker that had a Honda CL125, just rusty old bucket of bolts. And mm-hmm. he was like, for 200 bucks, I'll sell it to you. So my first paycheck at that job, I bought it. The, the amazing thing is my mom hates motorcycles she she would not let me get my driver's license until my 17th birthday because she said you know you're just not mature enough so i she sent me to venture driver training school if you remember venture stores for a short time they had the, the super super discount stores they had their own driver training school so i i learned to drive in a 1980 malibu four-door And uh, took my license a couple days after my 17th birthday. And the amazing thing is that, uh, like, a month and a half later, I said, I want to buy a motorcycle. And she was like, no. And I was like, well, think about it, Mom. If I had a motorcycle, I could take myself to school because I went to private Catholic school, so there were no buses. So my mom had to drive me there, drop me off, go across town in the other direction to go to work. She was a bank teller. And then come back and pick me up after she got off work. And I was like, Mom, think about it. I could take myself to and from work you could, or school. You could just go to work and come home. You wouldn't have to come back. And all of a sudden she was like, okay, yeah, I like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I so, didn't I'm wait like, for my license to start riding around. I got, when I was about eight or nine years old for Christmas, my dad got me a 1970 Honda Trail 70, one of the, the KOs. Um, And I, when my parents were gone, like, you know, wherever they were at, I would fire up that Trail 70 and I would ride all over town. I would go to my friend's house. Uh, I mean, you name it. One time I got pulled over and I was like probably 20 miles away from my house. And keep in mind, I was like eight years old and I didn't know what I was doing. I was on this bike path and I saw out of the corner of my eye, I saw a police officer just kind of cruising right next to me. And at this age, you know, you're thinking... Well, if I don't see him, it'll it'll just go away, right? You know, he won't stop me if I just pretend not to see him. So all of a sudden, no, he makes me stop. He's like, kid, what are you doing? And so I told him that I was just riding to his friend's house. And he asked me where I'd come from. And once he figured out that I was like 20 miles away from my house, he told me that he'll be back in an hour. And if I'm anywhere near here, then I'm, I'm going to be getting a ticket. And so from that point on, uh, I just kind of stuck to the legitimate way of writing and, and before my parents would find out because they would have uh, probably been pretty upset. 
Um, but speaking of mom's writing, it was that same uh, Trail 70 uh, that my mom was writing. And, you know, it has a little buddy foot pegs on the back. And she accidentally gave it some throttle. And one of those buddy put, foot pegs cut her leg open really badly. She ended up getting like 70 stitches in her leg. Oof. And even after that, she still didn't really care about me riding. I mean, my mom's one of those people that supports it. Even though she herself got a pretty severe injury on a motorcycle, um, she always just knew that those things kind of happen and life goes on. So she's always been a supporter of it for me. Good for you. Yeah. Well, I, I never rode a motorcycle until after I had paid $200 for one. And the guy's like, yeah, the, the clutch is it out this way. You have to counter steer, and there's where the shifter is. Okay, bye. So yeah. I, I was like the poster child for exactly how you're not supposed to learn how to ride a motorcycle. And, you know, yeah. ended up the first turn I took, I was like, I don't know how to do this. And I was like up over the curve into the grass, you mm. know, so. Yep. But yeah, I, you- I, I, I did have two guys I worked with. Uh, shortly thereafter, I went to work at a Dairy Queen, and two of the guys that worked there, Greg and David, one had a 76 CB400F in canary yellow with black side covers that I just thought oh, yeah. was the most gorgeous. I still think it's one of the most gorgeous motorcycles. Yeah. And uh, the other guy had a, a GS550. And yep. so I went, went riding with them, and then I went in the Army and... and uh, had two roommates that both ride. So, and, and they were really instrumental in keeping me alive because the first time we went out riding, I, I was just a madman. <laughs> and we, uh, I was at uh, Fort Lewis outside Tacoma and we rode up to uh, Mount Rainier and we got up to Longmire and got off the bikes and they were like, you're an idiot. We are never yeah. riding with you again. You <laughs> endangered yourself and so many people. And I was like, wow, oh. That that's not cool. I was I was trying to impress you guys. Yeah. So were you aggressive or just dangerous? Like didn't know how to ride yet, or just N- no driving I, too fast. I had no problem low siding. Yeah. Uh, I had a Honda XL six hundred R that I had put a uh, I had had Steve Giblin at uh, the local uh, shop put a nineteen inch front rim on, and I had. Sport Elite K291R race compound tires on it. So it, it was it was Supermoto before Supermoto was cool. And yeah. it I, I was like, hey, I, I have unlimited ground clearance. So I didn't know how close I was to the edge of the envelope until I was sliding along on my backside. And, you know, yeah. it was a dirt bike. I didn't care if I scratched it up. I was like, yep. pick it up, start it up, keep. And if it was still running, just pick it up. Yeah. Get going again. So Absolutely. They were like, yeah, no, we, we're not interested in riding with you if you're going to be like that. And uh, other than one really stupid time after that that I really severely hurt myself, uh, I really kind of haven't been crazy on the street since that one day. Yeah, I had an experience like that, too, that changed the way that I rode. My friend uh, and I both, speaking of the CB400, he had a 1980 uh, Honda CB400 Hawk, which I thought was a pretty cool motorcycle. This was back when we were just at the age where we could start to afford any kind of motorcycle. And and I had a 81 Honda CM400C, which essentially was the same motorcycle, just mine was the, the, the kind of yeah. cruisery version. His was a sporty one, but 
um, we were riding out in the gorge in this area, which is kind of like our Mulholland Drive. I mean, it's really scenic. It's twisty roads. Everybody goes out there to ride. And he was riding in front of me. He low sighted. And then there is this um, kind of decreasing radius corner. He low sighted, went into the wall. And I was trying to avoid hitting him, get in, got into the gravel and ended up having a pretty serious crash. And then after that, Definitely motorcycling changed for me. We started uh, riding much more responsibly. So probably similar to you with your experience and having your crash. Well, fortunately, I uh, uh, after I got out of the Army, I went to work in a motorcycle dealership. And for the whole time I was putting myself through college on the five-year plan, uh, I had mechanics and guys that I worked with that knew a whole lot and and so I went to work every day, and I got to pick their brains. So that was really when I started learning something about motorcycles. And I worked behind the parts counter, so I kind of, by osmosis, familiarized <laughs> myself with all the models and obscure older stuff, and it just kind of went from there. Yeah. I uh, I think one of the most formative uh, things for me about being smart about riding on the street was actually relatively early. I, I was never... Except for once or twice, a real idiot on the on the road. Um, but I remember going to um, Jason Pridmore's uh, race school, and he talked about you know once you go fast on a racetrack, you'll never look at riding on the street the same way. All of a sudden, all that Armco looks a lot closer, and you realize that all these people are driving cars and. Uh, or, or SUVs, and they're not paying attention and crossing the line, and look how many people are actually like, trying to do multitask while driving. And and it was funny because within like three days of going to that race school and then jumping on my street bike again, I'm like, okay, I don't really need to go fast on the street anymore. It's just yeah. it, it, you know, and and that's one of those things of I I know what it's like to ride fast on a, on a back road because I've done it, um, but riding fast on a racetrack whether it was on my street bike or uh or when i had a race bike it's just it's completely different and it, it took care of even if you got like dirt bikes and can go race like motocross or um trails ride you know um uh what is that hound and hare or some of that other stuff mm-hmm. um that's it's it, it just completely changes your your attitude about riding on the street. At least for me, it did, and I think for a lot of other people. And that, other people there is like, oh, I go fast on the if I can grow this fast on the on the track. Just look how fast I can go on the street because I'm a better rider. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's usually until there's some sort of incident that changes the way they ride. And for some people, it is just riding on a track. You know, that can definitely detune the way that you ride on the street. But for others, it's injury. And for some of the people that continue to ride fast on the street, it's probably it, there might be an event at some point in their lives that changes the way that they ride on the street and, and maybe slows it down. Hopefully they don't get permanently injured, but, you know, that's kind of the nature of motorcycling. It's not the safest thing to do. Well, I, I had already slowed down on the street when I tried racing and I I really wanted to build a race bike. I think that was my motivation. So I put together a, a my old Boltaco Persang 250 and put a Suzuki disc brake front end on it and some tires and went riding. And I really discovered that sustained 10 tenths riding isn't as fun as I thought it was going to be, that I discovered that as fast as possible and as fast as I cared to go were two different things. Yeah. 
and I did it for a season. I'm like, okay, I did that. I know what it's like out there. I don't really feel a whole lot of desire to go back and do that again, at least not on a motorcycle. I like doing that off road. And, you know, I, when I ride off road on dirt bikes, I always have the intention when I go out of just taking it easy. And then I feel like just, I get through one corner and I'm like, oh, that's pretty fun. Get through the next corner, the next corner. And then I'm at 10 tenths and I can't slow down. It's just like in this inherent thing when I ride, no matter what my intentions are. And this is really just offer. This doesn't happen on the street, but um, I always try to go slow and through, you know, the first three corners, maybe I do. But then after that, it's just 10 tenths. And then that's the way that I like to ride off road. But on the street, it's it's a little bit different. You just have so much more that you have to encounter and be aware with. And and that'll definitely change the way you ride. Well, if you, if you look at my riding history, you'll notice a lot of the XL600R got street tires. The yeah. uh, Persang got street tires. It, me and dirt just don't. I, I hurt myself and fall down way too much in the dirt. And I yeah. don't really have all that much experience with it, which is part of it. I mean, a lot of the my history, I didn't have anywhere to ride that was close. So it was just not very convenient to get a whole lot of dirt experience. And it, yeah. now I'm 50 and 50, almost 53. And I have no intention of riding a dirt bike now. <laughs> yeah, that's still, I mean... Dirt riding is, is still a big part of what I do. I love it. That's what I grew up riding with. So, I, uh, I I desperately, depending on some stuff that happens this spring, we're trying to sell our house and buy another house. So that's first and foremost. But I, I have for a couple of years wanted to get either an XR100 or a TT125R because some friends of mine who I know from racing or in the area, um, most of them don't really race anymore, but a few of them have XRs or TTs and, and do a little you know, backyard flat tracking or, or uh, little TT courses that are set up and people who have some property around here. And it's something I'd love to do just because, you know, you're going 30 miles an hour. So if you crash, it's, it's not too bad. And, um, you know, and the bikes are, you can pick up a bike for six or 800 bucks. So if you trash the bike, it's like, yeah, okay, it's six or 800 bucks, but it's not like you're throwing away a, you know, four or $5,000, you know, two-year-old right. motocross it's, bike or something, you the, know, a newer street bike. The pit bike thing, you know, that got really popular. And they make even those little Chinese knockoff pit bikes that are, uh, you know, they last a pretty decent amount of time. They're really cheap and they're a lot of fun. Um, people lately I've seen are using those um, Honda CRF 150 motocross bikes and turning those into pit bikes. But you know, then you definitely start getting into a little bit more money, but they're definitely amazing motorcycles. Well, uh, there's, there's been a couple start stops on taking those little Chinese bikes and, um, and trying to run them on the indoor cart tracks we have around here. Yeah. And it works for a year or two and then it doesn't work out and then it comes back about a year or two later. So, yeah, Yeah. I think it was Kenny Roberts that had a, a, like a eighth mile flat track and a whole bunch of uh, XR 100s and yeah. and yep. guys like out at the ranch, yeah. Uh, Eddie Lawson and people like that were actually not just for fun, but you know to to oh, training. training yeah. You know, yeah. they said that was the best way to really get that it, feel for when you're half yep. breaking loose traction on the back wheel and still getting on the gas. That made made a huge difference for me when I did it because I was racing a, a 125 GP bike and it didn't really move around a lot but when it slid or broke it was it was it was kind of a snap thing and you had to you know know how to balance it 
And I was always a little on edge about it. And then after writing like XRs a few times and understanding what that kind of felt like when uh, when it happened on the track. And there was one time I had three people who I raced with who were right behind me when it happened at turn one in Grattan, which is you go from it's a about a two thirds of a mile, maybe a little longer, three quarters of a mile straight away that goes into about a 80 mile an hour uh, turn for turn one. So you're on the brakes and you really got to throw it in. And I had both and sliding on a 125 oh, yeah. GP bike and I was on on my knee puck total full counter steer and um and you know just rode it through like it was nothing and just went on going and we came back after practice and and they're like they all walked up to me and like what did you do that was cool I'm like yeah I, I, I don't know how I did it I don't know I could ever do it again but did yes, you have to was... check your seat after that one and make sure you didn't have to wipe it off I mean that's uh that's no I was of... it was it was so much fun. I'm like, wow, that yeah. was cool. It was, yeah. it was so much fun. I didn't have time I, either. You know, it was just like, yeah, okay, no big deal. Well, there is something to be said about uh, being able to ride a bike on the edge, but not in a state where you feel out of control. And so that's right. the neat thing yeah. about some of those littler bikes is is you can ride them on the edge without fear of, of injury necessarily. Um, and it's so much fun to do. I mean, there's really nothing better than than, you know, being a hooligan on a little mini bike on a close course. Agreed. Okay, let's move on to our, our, our next topic that uh, we have on our list of things to discuss. Uh, when you are looking at motorcycles, what features are absolute deal breakers and what are must-haves? Whether whether it's a particular bike, you know, uh, or a, a, a model features what what turns you off what do you say yeah i've got to have that or i can't deal with that well i have admitted admittedly pretty low standards of motorcycles so i don't know if i have any features that are like uh deal breakers but a couple that i have learned to appreciate a lot two of them one is fuel injection well let's say three three features so one is fuel injection, because if you have ridden carbureted bikes forever, in the first cold morning you go to start that fuel-injected bike, you'll never go back. I mean, and the throttle response is just amazing. The Especially second one, ones that are in the middle of the EPA era. I mean, if you've right. got a, a 60s Ducati single that they just jetted them just so rich that you've yeah. got soot coming out of the exhaust it actually isn't that bad it's the yeah. it's the cv carbs from about 1980 1990 that you just are torture yeah and that's a good point though about carburetors too is because i ride in in different elevations all the time and a fuel injected bike fixes itself you know it, it, it tunes itself whereas carburation um, if you have a big elevation swing then your tune is just going to be so varied um, but the second thing that I was going to say is, uh, electric start. And I mean this because most street bikes have electric start, but I'm talking specifically with dirt bikes. Um, so I like to ride KTMs and I've had a couple that are electric start. And specifically for me, I broke my right leg pretty good, which makes it kind of tough to start motorcycles. But then also when you're in tight trails and you kill it, not having to spend the time to get the kicker out 
and do that whole process. It's just really nice to be able to electric start. So um, on off-road, on dirt bikes, that is like the most helpful feature in the world. And then the third that I'll just point out really quickly is a comfortable seat because you guys know on motorcycles, you you sit on one and you're like, that's pretty comfortable. I could do this for a couple hundred miles. And then five miles in, you start doing the cheek <laughs> switching. You know what I mean? Like you're on the left cheek and then you're on the right cheek. And you're like, man, this is starting to get uncomfortable. And then seven miles later, you're looking around to see if anybody's looking so you can start standing up, you know, to get your butt cheeks a rest. And then it just goes downhill from there. So a comfortable seat, which they usually don't come on a motorcycle. It's something that you have to get in the aftermarket. But that is a huge, huge thing for me. Okay, I, uh, I, go on. I, I, I get the seat, but from a different perspective on my uh, RZ500, the uh, exhaust. It's, uh, the expansion chambers and the exhaust were right under the seat. Uh-huh. So after about oh, yeah. 250, 300 miles, let's just say that... Smells like um, burnt hair. <laughs> I, had to, I, had to, I had to make a stop at a drugstore for a little ointment. Okay? <laughs> it was a little, uh, became a little uncomfortable. Yeah, this is <laughs> that just Yeah, that, uh, that last hour and a half ride, a uh, part of the ride, was the most beautiful part of the ride and I couldn't appreciate it because I was just so miserable yeah. that, uh, yeah, so I get, uh, yeah. Yeah, I know how that is. I was going to say, when you're talking about the, the seats, the big thing that gets me is having a step in the seat, which even a lot of non-cruiser bikes nowadays have a little lip that kind yeah. of locates you in one spot. And I really like to be able to shift my my butt back and forth, not only for my rear end, but it just changes the whole ergonomics of the bike. So you can get your arms and your legs in different positions. And when you're stuck in one spot, that, uh, that brings me to the other thing that I cannot stand. It was forward controls. I have to be able to have my feet under the center of gravity of my body. And the only bike that I had that I initially really liked, but couldn't put up with, was I had a, a 2009 Suzuki S50 Boulevard, which is the old Intruder kind of updated yeah. with a, a little bit less of the, you know, it had flat bars on it and a different seat, but it had the step seat and it didn't have forward controls. It was kind of like a Sportster. It had the mid controls that are uh, just a little after the crank shaft, yeah. but still not underneath you. And it didn't help that it only had like three and a half inches of rear suspension every frost heave you went over you're after a while you're like oh this is just uncomfortable and you can't move around and i was like i really now that bike was carbureted it didn't have an integral uh fork lock and i mean it was pretty much the same bike they designed in 1983 yeah and i still really liked it but it was the ergonomics that i just couldn't put up with yeah Well, that's a big part of the motorcycling. I don't have and probably will never have. I shouldn't say will never have. But forward controls are something that I just don't care for on a motorcycle. I still like the sporty uh, position. Um, Rear sets, love rear sets. Um, So all of my old two-stroke street bikes all have, you know, the old vintage aftermarket rear sets and all that. Because even that neutral position, like... You know, an RD350, how it came, the pegs are still right underneath you. They come with the kind of taller bars. And and not that I really like the cafe look or anything, but I do like a sportier position. So I like to put drag bars or even some clamp-ons on and some rear sets. Um, I just like that feel of a motorcycle a lot more. 
Uh, my wife, her first bike was a V-Star 950 Tour after she learned to ride, and it had floorboards up front. Mm. And she was like, man, I'm just not real comfortable with it, getting it in and out of, you know, just parking around a gas station. And, and she, some of it was it had wonky steering geometry and really wide bars, so you got way too much leverage, and the thing's as long as an aircraft carrier. But beyond that, she got off of that, and we bought a... a kawasaki w650 and she's like oh now i get it now i understand why you want a higher seat and and pegs further back she's like this is just you're naturally in control i'm like exactly yeah but you gotta you gotta pick what you want and and learn what you like yourself because i know there are some people who don't like anything but forward controls i don't get it but yeah i don't either yeah one of my one of my friends down in um chattanooga He's he's shorter. He's got doesn't have like a big inseam, but he has this thing where he has to flat foot. I'm like, come on, dude, slide half a cheek off or a little bit, and just you know one or be on your tippy toes, no big deal. And he's just like, I gotta flat foot it. I'm like, what? Well, but he he grew up around with the Harley and around Harleys, so that was you know that's part of that. But yeah, um, for me, I guess my my must haves are um, number one, good brakes. I've had a bike or two that had good brakes for the first or the second time, but if you had to use them multiple times in any kind of relative quick succession, they're like, okay, come on, where are you? Come on, there you are. That is the worst feeling when you grab it and there's just nothing there and you just hardly slow down. Well, does that mean, so there's many tiers of good brakes. Does that mean disc brakes or does that mean like a twin lead drum brake or just something that doesn't feel like a sponge when you pull it? Yes. (laughs) Um, actually i've never i'm trying to think if i ever ridden anything with drums up front i don't think i have oh you haven't motorcycled (laughs) um i i you know i I only go so i'll I'll only endure so much uh pain for my art okay (laughs) yeah i feel like Um, probably nine out of ten motorcycles that i have have drum brakes on them (laughs) um but yeah no i just something that's consistent something that's consistent where if you grab it you know what it's going to do versus yeah. something that's going to fade quickly. And right. um, so that would be, that would be number one. Um, number two, well, I'll, I'll save the most important thing for last. Number two, kind of like, kind of what you're saying is I, I want something that's comfortable that I can ride for a while. And, and that's something from sort of standard ADV ish to not on full sport bike anymore. Cause my, I'm I'm old and my back isn't going to handle that for too long. My hand, my back, and my wrist, and more my shoulder now that after after I've had surgery. Um, but yeah, I, I've I've ridden bikes that kind of um, they're not maybe full on cruiser, but um, and I always forget it. And and Pete and I were talking about this when when we did a call a couple weeks ago. Um, but the the Triumph three cylinder, the twenty three hundred cc three cylinder bike, yeah. That bike was just, you kind of sat up straight to a little lean back and it just, you were like fl- flare, flared out because the bike's so wide and your arms are, and it's just like eh, anything over 60 miles an hour, that bike was not comfortable to ride. So yeah. it's, um, and, and yet a uh, street triple R, which is sort of a, you know, standard, standard bike and um, riding that thing at 85 or 90 on the highway was you know, easy like Sunday morning. Uh, there was no buffeting. It wasn't uncomfortable. It was just like, hey, this is great. You look down like, wow, I'm doing 90. Okay. Should probably yeah. slow down a little bit, but, you know. Um, uh, but that leads to me. The most important thing in a bike, 
and that's character. A bike must have character. Um, I grew up, or I grew up. My writing, my as I my most of my writing up until mid two thousands when I got that bike, I think, um, was all two strokes. You know, and so two strokes have character. Um, whether it's you know fouling a plug or just you go from nothing, nothing, nothing to it gets on the pipe, and you go from like crawling to all of a sudden it's like a, the you know the start uh, the Enterprise going to warp where everything kind of yeah. stretches out, and then it's like bang, you're gone. Um, and then when I uh, sold my last two stroke, which was a TZR two fifty. Uh, mostly because it was a great bike, but just horrible for around here because there aren't any curvy roads, and that's a bike that desperately needs curvy roads. And got a CBR 900RR. Um, beautiful bike, great bike, no soul, no character. Technically, yeah. it's, it, it was a perfect Honda. It was like technically it was a great bike. It just didn't sing to me, right? So when I had to let that go, I didn't care. Any other two-stroke bike I've had that I've sold, I'm like, oh, I wish I had, especially my RZ500. Um, but... That bike, I didn't care, and and it, to me that's because it didn't have much soul. Um, the bike I have now, which is a um, uh, XS four hundred with about a thousand and fifty original miles on it, yeah. I got from my father in law because um, it sat in his garage for twenty years with gas in the tank, which was his oh. own nightmare. <laughs> um, it's slow. It does. It's not particularly good at anything, but because it's like a two cylinder parallel twin and even the mid uh, mid 70s universal japanese motorcycle thing it, at least it has character um so it's not too bad it's not my favorite yeah. bike i've ever had but it's something to ride right now until i can get something else so yeah. um in which case it'll just be an occasional bike but yeah so those are my my three big things as brakes um a good riding position that it, like you guys both are saying it's like you can it, it's good for a while and you feel in control, and then absolutely, it has to have it has to have some kind of character. Yeah, character is a big one. I definitely agree with you there. And speaking of that parallel twin, I've got a '74 Yamaha TX750, which it's a 750, but it's the parallel twin with a goofy omniphase balancer system in it. And there's nothing particularly interesting about the motorcycle, but it's got a lot of character. It's nice. I mean, it's been restored at some point in its life. I think one of the previous owners did it, but it's just a nice motorcycle, and it's that early 70s Japanese street bike thing, and they just look cool. So, Yeah, the worst thing that happened was like, it was like two weeks ago on uh, Bike XF, they, somebody had done an XS400 um, kind of bobber style. It's sort of bobber slash flat track style. And yeah. I go, oh, look, exactly how I'd want to do it. Just what I didn't need to see. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> That's the project, right? Yeah. Just leave it stock as it is. Go ride the damn thing. Yeah. Well, talk, talking about uh, two strokes, I was, I don't know, probably a couple of years ago, I had a pen pal, Skype pal in Japan, and we were talking about how different the perception of two strokes are in the United States and Japan. Because he was like, he he bought a Harley Night Train, and it was the cost of his house. You know, yeah. it was it he just between what they cost and the license to ride them and insure them, it, it it's obscenely expensive over there. But he wanted a Harley, and I thought. Yeah, over here Harleys are just nothing. And he's like, "Well, I just I had to get off that two-stroke. That was just they're so annoying and they sound so bad and they sound so cheap and you know, it's it's what you ride when you aren't a good enough motorcyclist to go spend the money for a big four-stroke." Oh, and I was like, good. "Okay, that's exactly the opposite. The only people I know around me who like two-strokes are the people who I consider to be the true enthusiasts, and I 
love the sound of a two-stroke just screaming or even yeah. just just popping it idle. I yep. have a uh, one of my ringtones is an old Asa that I took off a. Uh, uh, I downloaded the soundtrack from a YouTube video just because it was a guy starting up an Asa road racer with an open pipe on it. And he was just yeah. blipping the throttle and letting it idle and popping. It's like, oh, that's just music to me. Yeah, the two strokes. I mean, it's kind of a love-hate relationship. I love them, but there's parts of them that I hate. Uh, well, A, you always... It's like the law of two strokes. You have to have a puddle of gas and oil underneath your machine at almost all times. And so there's that part of it that's kind of annoying. I mean... And and you can go through and rebuild them, but a lot of my bikes are just, I mean, they've been rebuilt at some point, but um, still, they're just, you know, kind of a maintenance is fiasco. that Is that a dirt bike two-stroke thing? Well, or even I mean, street bikes? so most of the street bikes, I actually don't have any two-stroke dirt bikes anymore, but the two-stroke street bikes that I have... Um, so one of them I got last year, it's a 76 Yamaha DT 400 Enduro and it's exactly the way that I got it. Um, it runs great. Well, except that I added an electronic ignition system to it, but nevertheless, um, every time I wheel it out, in fact, because it's spring here almost, I just got it started yesterday, but, um, it's just got this perpetual, puddle of oil underneath it and i feel like that's just kind of the two-stroke way i mean because oftentimes they're not rebuilt and they've been around forever and the seals are starting to go bad but you know you just put a little more oil in it and you keep riding them some of the nicer ones that i have uh, i've gone through the motors and fixed them all up so they don't leak oil but um you know still uh it's hard to beat that sound of a two-stroke uh, a friend of mine has an RZ350 with a four mil uh, stroke crankshaft in it and mm. a big bore. So mm. it, it makes it up to a 421 cc. It's got 38 millimeter electron carbs. It's got beautiful handmade pipes. And I promise there is nothing better in this entire world than the sound of that at 12,000 RPMs. It's incredible. Yep. 95 horsepower. It's just amazing. Eric, did you say you had an MB5 at one point? No, um, I actually I had an RZ three fifty for about three weeks in college. Oh no no, uh, uh, it, I think it was uh, Brad uh, said that he had had one, um, and I think he may still have one. But I had a MB five. I'm one of the people that was able to buy them for three hundred ninety eight dollars. Yeah, I was in the army. That's what I had before I had the XL six hundred R. As soon as I got to my permanent duty station took my first paycheck, went down, paid for one cash. I'm like, okay, I can get her on the post now. And that was so much fun that I, I got rid of it and always missed it. And then my good friend, Rusty, who I hope to have on the podcast sometime, we were working together. He's like, oh, I got one in my garage. You want it? So I sold him my KZ750. He sold me the MB5. And one of the other guys... Pretty was good trade. Part, well, it wasn't a heads-up trade, and it wasn't at the Uh-oh. same time either. But <laughs> okay. uh, we... Uh, it was one of the guys that worked in the parts department was like, I don't, I, I don't get a 50 CC. It's a moped. Why, why would you ever want one of those? And we're like, no, this is a really cool bike. It's got a five speed transmission. It does about 55 miles an hour. It's really cool. So I brought it to work one day and I was like, take it to lunch. You know, if you're gone for an hour, okay, just come back 
having experienced he came back and he said i have never ridden a bike that made me grin just yeah. driving the speed limit down the street he said that sounds so cool and it's so much fun to rev it to 10 grand you know when you're stuck in traffic you can still just ring it out and yeah. he said oh that's so much fun i was like now you know yeah you know? they're they're fun uh but on the other hand, um, they make so much noise, like, it gets a little bit old, too. When you're in a downtown city environment, it sounds amazing off of the buildings, but I wouldn't suggest that somebody had a two-stroke for their daily rider, just because uh, they, people, like, they feel annoyed, I think, sometimes. Like, the non-motorcycle enthusiasts feel annoyed by them. Um, and so sometimes they can generate some unwanted attention, but your inner motorcyclist needs to embrace that hatred and continue on. Yes. Well, <laughs> that's that, like, yeah, well, yeah, that's good for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to add two other things to our list here. Uh, two things that, that, uh, windshields, I, I can't do windshields. Yeah. I have I like it in, in in theory. I've never found one on any bike that I liked well enough to keep. Some of it is I like that panoramic view of nothing obstructing my vision. Yeah. Some of it is I like bikes narrow and it makes it feel wide, but mostly it's just I've never found something that didn't buff it somewhere. That wasn't either hitting me on the back or making my head, you know, the helmet jiggle on my head. I haven't and I've bought a couple windshields for bikes and rode for a week or two and I was like, no, it's got to come off. And so that's one of my, I, I can't do it. The other thing is weight. Now, I, my r- rule of thumb is a motorcycle shouldn't weigh more than two and a half times the rider's weight. For me, that's low 400s. I'm 165 pounds. So, you know, I'm 400, 420. Beyond that, it's just, I can do it. I can ride it. One of my favorite long-term dreams is to have a KZ 1300, but I would want to be really close to an interstate and then just get out of town quick and cruise on it and not have the the struggle of getting in and out of the gas station. And, you know, that it's that you're pulling into a driveway that's uphill, but you got to stop, come to a stop, and then accelerate up the hill at three miles an hour across traffic to get up the driveway it's like to me it's not that i'm afraid i'm gonna fall over it's just not as much fun as when you get on something lighter and you go oh hey this is really cool and maneuverable and i really like this so i'm definitely smaller rather than larger yeah yeah and i think that's a good policy for motorcycles in general but on the other hand i would love to have a gold wing at some point that i can just ride across states and just buy an accord at that point well, yeah, I know it's not much different, <laughs> especially if you get the about landing the same gear. price too. <laughs> Have you seen the landing gear for like the Gold Wings and some of the other bigger motorcycles where you literally don't even have to put your feet down? It's just like these retractable wheels that pop down, and so yeah, you might as well just get a car at that point. But well, no, I mean, I think that a, a Gold Wing would be really fun to ride cross country. I would absolutely love to do it. You know, that's why my wife and I have spiders. I know a lot of people yeah. are are the the. I am amazed at the amount of trichophobia out there that it's it's somehow going to infect people. The fact that they're <laughs> out there is going to ruin their experience for them. And it's amazing on forums how much just vitriol you get that just people, why do these things even exist? And it's, 
Well, if you're a veteran and you've lost a limb, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, I live in the Great Plains. There are not twisty roads around here unless I go down to Arkansas. So most of my riding is just going to be cruising along. And I'll tell you the story was I went down. My my wife was struggling with bikes and she wanted to trike and she was looking at a, a Lehman Sportster conversion. And I was like, no, if you want a trike, go look at a Spider. It's designed from the ground up to be a three-wheeler. It's going to handle better. She drove one, and she's like, I'm sold. The next weekend, we went and bought one. And she had one for about a year, and I got used to it. I rode it enough that I was used to it. I wasn't opposed to it, but I was kind of like, yeah, that's nice for you. Yeah. And we went down to Spider Fest, which is a – they have 1,200 spiders all get together down in Springfield, which is three and a half, four hours from our house. So we drove down and we got down there and it rained and torrential rain. And I was on my Suzuki S50 and I was fighting rain grooves on really slick, oily pavement with cars all around me, spray getting kicked up. And I, it was just wasn't any fun. And it was pouring so bad that they had the demo fleet of all the new spiders out there. And they had the RSS, which is their sportiest kind of more of a, sport bike ergonomics it's the same engine a little bit stiffer suspension nicer fox podium shocks on it but not all that different hardware wise yeah but it's also low doesn't have a windshield just got a little sports screen that's about waist high they were like we're not going out here's the keys be back in 15 minutes take it out by yourself i went out in the pouring rain i was spinning the rear tire and all of a sudden i was just having fun it was like oh wow and we the next day, it was sunny, beautiful day, but we had like 40-mile-an-hour crosswinds, and I was just weaving all the way home, just fighting the crosswinds, and it was gusty enough that you'd you know, shimmy one way, shimmy the other, and your helmet's getting rattled around. I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to get that spider. And I really, I thought my riding was going to be 50-50, and very rapidly, probably 80% of my riding was on that spider immediately, just because around here it's just more comfortable yeah i'm not taking turns and it that cured me from wanting any big bikes because yeah. when you get that big <clears throat> i it's effortless to ride and i can you know we did a 700 mile 675 mile day on it last summer and i was still pretty fresh at the end of it so yeah that would be a good compromise for the big uh gold wing is something uh, like a trike, but like a spider that is comfortable to ride, still big, but, um, and also those things for the people that are a little bit apprehensive about getting into motorcycling, they're good because you don't have to worry about putting your feet down or getting into a driveway that's a little bit off camber and things like that. So, I mean, they're definitely good for the right people. And that brings us to our Final question, and this is going to go back a little bit to the two strokes. Uh, how much do you work on your own bikes? And my answer is there are two different kinds of motorcycles. There are toys and there are transportation. Uh, an $18,000 Spider, I am not working on that myself. You know, especially one that's computer controlled. And No. I have no desire to be that guy who, oh, this is going to be a quick fix, and you get halfway through it, and a stud snaps. And then you're like, well... Now it's in my garage. I'm going to have to put it on a flatbed to get it or, you know, 
tow it behind a, the truck to get it to the dealership to get them to fix If it's anything that I'm going to take any distance or ride every day, somebody else is going to work on it. Now, I love working on motorcycles, but they are strictly project bikes that are for fun that I'm going to take out around the neighborhood and, you know, take out for an afternoon and not count on me getting it somewhere. And that's really where the two strokes fall for me. Yeah, what about you, Eric? How do you feel about working on your own bikes? I pretty much have always worked on my own, uh, on, on my own stuff. I have a, a buddy of mine who he used to, he's another guy I know from racing. Um, he still has his uh, Aprilia RS125 and Aprilia RS250. He's also an engineer, which is so he loves the technical stuff. And so there's some, a couple times I've like, hey, hey Jamie, um, can you help me out on some stuff? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. He shows up and then he's like, ah, oh, just get out of the way. I got this. <laughs> Yeah. So he's an engineer who likes to do things. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, all right. And I got to say, he's meticulous about stuff, so I can't complain, right? No, um, engineers aren't meticulous. <laughs> no. Well, actually, some of them aren't, <laughs> surprisingly. <laughs> um, but it, And it's one of those things of, you know, the nice thing is, is I can always learn with supervision or whatever. So, But, yeah, I, I pretty much – they've always been toys for the – except for – one time when my TZR 250 was my daily transportation, even through winter in Michigan, um, which is its own interesting story. But um, it, um, yeah, I guess since they're all toys and I've just always worked on them and yeah, so it's never been critical. But I, I like them and I like the older bikes, I guess, because they are simple. Um, and having never owned a modern, modern one, it's, you know, I don't, I can't say. Um, but for the old ones, yeah, it's easy, you know. Could re- I could rebuild the engine on my uh, RS125 race bike in 35 minutes. I know because I had to do it <laughs> on more than one occasion. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, I'm pretty much my own my own person. It's I think once or twice I've ever had to send something out, and that was it. Yeah, for me because I grew up near a race shop. My dad has um, run a race shop for I mean since I was born. And so I grew up working on engines and you name it. And and a lot of what I used to do when I was really young, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old was just go into the shop and do valve adjustments and oil changes, you know, like the maintenance work for my dad. And so I kind of started doing that kind of stuff. And then that progressed into working more on the machining side of the engine work. And so um, in my dad's shop, there's a big mill and a lathe and a a boring stand for cylinders. And I mean, you name it, it's in there. And so I just grew up with that stuff. And now um, I prefer to do 99% of of all of the work. Um, The only thing that I don't do is like warranty stuff. So um, I've got a KTM dirt bike and it had some sort of warranty issue with a oiling system and and I wasn't going to touch that. Um, you know, that's what they're paid to do. So, uh, they fix that, but otherwise if it's not under warranty, um, it's definitely something that I'll do. And I mean, anything from, uh, rebuilding the engine, uh, tuning, even fuel injection stuff. We do a lot on newer fuel injected bikes in the race shop now where, um, we might, uh, bore and stroke and recam and, and do all sorts of stuff to an engine and it just dramatically changes the tune. So we'll on the dyno go in uh, make adjustments to the fuel table. I mean, you name it. Uh, so that's what I grew up doing. And subsequently, I work on everything myself. You know, before I got into motorcycles myself and was old enough to go out and work on them myself, 
I, I knew nobody who worked on engines. My dad's comment was about cars was, I know where the key goes. I, goes, I know where yeah. the gas nozzle goes. That's all I want to know. I don't want to know anything beyond that. So when I was 16, I said I wanted tools for my birthday. And so I got a plastic toolbox and a ball-peen hammer. Yeah, that was the only tools <laughs> that my parents knew enough to buy for me. I was like, "Yeah, okay, thanks." Well, that's all you need to fix a two-stroke. You just tap on the bowls of the carburetors, and it's fixed. <laughs> More times than not. <laughs> so, and and I always had mechanics around to help me learn stuff. Like when I was building my race bike and stuff, I had people around that would kind of look over my shoulder, and go, "Eh, don't do this. Yeah, do that. This is probably not a smart idea." And I appreciated all those people. But I still, to this day, feel like there are big gaps in not my book knowledge, but my experience level. Yeah, it, it, it kind of intimidates you when you're looking at now. If it's something cheap, you know, if it's a, if it's a nine hundred dollar bike, yeah, I'll try it. If it's you know something I bought new off the showroom floor, carburetors I don't have a problem with for some reason. I you know rejetting carburetors or lift raising the needles or stuff. It's like that's. That to me, that seems like maintenance. That's not really repairs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's amazing once, the... you, once you tear once you tear something completely down. Once you go like, oh my god, how am I getting this back together? And yeah. you kind of, you know, it's either you remember most of it, and then you kind of figure out where there's a a, a, a diagram that kind of shows you where everything goes, and you're like, oh, that wasn't that bad. Yeah. Where did this <laughs> so, screw go? It's just, yeah. Like, just got to do it a couple times, and then you're fine. So. Yeah, but like vacuum-operated carburetors, things like that, those start to get a little bit complicated. And even I don't like working on those, the vacuum-synced. And, oh, geez, those things can be a little bit of a nightmare. Well, we probably should wrap it up. Is there any closing thoughts or comments? Or you want to plug your Instagram feed like all of the journalists do? Oh, I got so much stuff going on. I I don't know what to do anymore. But uh, I'm I'm around. Most of the stuff I'm doing lately has has been car related, mostly because I can make money doing that and motorcycles. <laughs> so I took a break from motorcycle stuff for a while. But um, most of my stuff is car related. Uh, if you're on YouTube and you want to look at car reviews, check out uh, YouTube.com/slash Rumble Strip Radio. Nothing here and for, me. Look for me. On, and if you want to look for me on Instagram or Twitter, I'm Rumble Strip. Uh, Rumble Strip. Sorry. Yeah, I just appreciate being on this podcast. And uh, nothing official for me. I'm obviously the least qualified to be here. Oh, I don't <laughs> I, know. I'm, I'm the guy that knew a guy that had a motorcycle. You're the guy. You're the guy. You're the guy with the race shop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. No, but yeah, and it's been fun. I I like being here. So. Okay. Well, we'll. Call this one good, and we'll see you next week. All right.